Hey folks, this is Matt from Crazy Cousins Games, and with me today is my cousin. It's me, Sas. Hi. Uh, so today we're going to have our first talk about game design. Uh, to get everyone on the same page for future discussions, we wanted to start by trying to define what a game is. But since neither of us have any formal education in game design, we decided that we'll not try to come up with all the answers ourselves. Instead, what we're going to do for this series is we're going to work through the book Art of Game Design by Jesse Schell. Um, so today we're basically going to cover the first two chapters there that cover respectively what is a game designer and what is an experience. And then hopefully next time around we should get to what is a game. I am excited. Are you? I am quite excited. This is stuff that nobody other than me used to know about until I made you get the book. <laughs> And now I have read a bit and I, I'm still not sure if I know, so I'm, you're going to test me now. Okay, cool. All right, so let's start by talking about uh, chapter one, which is called In the Beginning, There is the Designer. Um, so the first bit there uh, is quite interesting. Basically, um, he just writes about how do you become a game designer? So Sas, how do you become a game designer? You just say these magic words. I am a game designer. Are you a game designer? I am a game designer. Are you really a game designer? I am a game designer. Are you really, really, really a game designer? <laughs> I am a game designer. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, I mean, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> what I find that interesting is it kind of reminds me of what game jams try to encourage us to do, which is just stop overthinking stuff and just go try, just make stuff. <laughs> And then magically you will be what you're trying to be eventually yeah. with enough practice. I, I initially had this knee-jerk reaction of what? No, that, that can't be it. But as we'll explore more, like it, it's starting to make sense. It's, it's, a, it's a world of immersion. And if, if you're not willing to immerse yourself in it, then you're not going to become it. And one of the first steps is to try and lie to yourself and tell you that yourself that you're going to be a game designer. <laughs> just fake it till you just make it. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, so just uh, a bit more formally in terms of what a game designer does, uh, if you go look at like the big AAA studios, for example, there are people whose actual job titles are game designer. Um, so from that point of view, the game designer's job basically in a big team of people making a game is to make decisions about what is being built during the game development process. Mm. Um, so what's interesting there is, even though you might have a person that is your lead game designer, technically speaking, all of the team members on the game are all game designers because everybody is busy making a lot of little micro decisions mm. during the process. Mm. So even though you're not maybe the game designer, maybe you're the artist or the programmer, you're still actually busy helping with the game design when you're doing your part of the job. <laughs> so the, the, the thing that I'm looking at that's very interesting to me is how a game designer might be able to specialize in, in a specific skill and, and do that really good. Um, they, they still need some form of understanding of the rest of, of making games like if we start on this list of skills i'm mm. quickly going to run through it like animation anthropology architecture brainstorming business cinematography communication creative writing economics engineering history management mathematics music <laughs> psychology 
public speaking, sound design, technical writing, and visual arts. Like yeah. those are all. It's a lot of different things. Um, basically, that's a list of skills from the book that Jesse Shell thinks is relevant stuff for a game designer. Um, it's pretty much just about anything out there can be useful. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it is quite important for a game designer to probably at the very least, obviously he needs to know game design, but he needs to know at the very least probably a bit about the art and about the technical stuff of whatever medium he's working in. So if that's video games, huh. knowing a little bit about what's technically possible is probably kind of crucial. But that's not all. If if you know how to design, you still need to be able to communicate that design to your team. Yeah. So communication and all of these other management like uh, I don't only need to communicate a design to my team. I also need to communicate it to potential buyers of the game in the future. Like mm. you need to know about marketing, and then the economics of it comes in. And before you know it, you're you've stumbled down this deep rabbit hole of. I am not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm just swapping out hats and yeah. tr- doing my best. It's cool. I've always considered myself a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, so <laughs> I figure from that point of view, it, it helps. Like, I've dabbled in most of the skills. <laughs> yeah, sadly, I, I've not dabbled as much as I should have. I should probably be focusing. Like, like you said in a previous podcast, I should be focusing on just doing things so that i can flex the design muscle yeah because ideas are a dime a dozen and you just need to do stuff an idea that's not executed is worth less than a poor idea that's been executed well <laughs> well even executed if you have something it yeah. it's better than nothing yeah fair enough um cool so then that that's kind of just a, a big listing of all the skills that you might need for making a video game uh, as a designer you don't have to bring all of them to the table what you have to bring to the table is the ability to assemble a team that does bring all the skills you need to the table uh, so from that point of view um, what they reckon is one of the most important skills for a designer is listening um, and there he talks a bit about kind of different people that you as a designer need to kind of make sure you're listening to. Uh, the first one there is your team, obviously. So uh, like we just kind of went through that big list. If you aren't able to communicate with your team members, um, it's going to be quite difficult for you kind of to do a one-man show that covers all of the skills you need. And there, even if you just look at the very basics of making a video game you need probably programming design art sound maybe some music (laughs) that's like probably the bare minimum that you need to make a game and and then once you've made the game you've only made a game yeah you don't you haven't marketed yet you're not (laughs) selling it to anybody (laughs) like word of mouth can be a great thing but it's also a difficult thing to achieve yeah i don't think a lot of people get very far just by word of mouth um then the next thing is basically listening to your audience so um i think there what's important is you know a lot of games obviously you need to listen to feedback about your game if people hate your game you've kind of failed as a designer 
Um, and you should try to learn from that experience and do better next time. Um, but also good games tend to, or some of the most successful games rather, I should say, do tend to build big communities around themselves. Um, I mean, there's a almost endless procession of games on Steam that are in early access or that have been in early access for two or three years. Even five years. So. Yeah. Where, where the developer is like constantly every month he's busy adding stuff and it's kind of a constant feedback loop between the developer releasing stuff and getting feedback from his community and adjusting and releasing a new version to get to what ends up being an amazing game. Yeah, and, and to that then, like you also need to be able to, to listen to your game and this is quite a difficult thing to achieve. Like, yes, like what is my game trying to be it's it's kind of like um i think uh, i'm probably going to talk so much crap now but i i seem to recall reading this somewhere that michael angelo or someone said that they could they could see the statue in the raw block of marble and they just helped to had to help it get out <laughs> i probably misattributed the quote and got it completely wrong but as a game designer you are often kind of the guy with the game idea or who's responsible for taking a game idea and turning it into a reality. So, yes, you have to kind of figure out <laughs> what your game is trying to be. You have to have that vision of <laughs> what fits and what doesn't fit. <laughs> and if you don't know, luckily, this is like kind of what the core of this book is going to be focusing on, is being able to listen to your game and, and reason about what it's trying to tell you. Yeah, so this game, we're going to get to it shortly. Um, the, the book basically defines a set of lenses that help you ask questions about your game to yourself. Um, so we're, we're going to start working through those lenses. We're going to do the first one, I think, today. Um, so yeah, that, that that is where this book is going to help a lot, is kind of just improving your ability to listen to your game. Um, the next one then uh, is listening to your client. That I think is probably res less relevant to us. Um, but if you have a publisher, that becomes quite important. Um, as well as, I guess, if you're doing like these adver advertisement type games, would be another case where someone is paying for you to do a commissioned work. Uh, I would st say that this still applies to us, though. Um we we should still be able to place ourselves in the position of a client. Yeah, I mean, your client could be a bunch of people that are crowdfunding your game even. Yes, even even that. So you, you need to be able to find something that you can relate to as a client yeah. and, and, and have that be a voice of reason. Because if... Uh, if I had been the client on, on just the design part and what I wanted, but not when I wanted it and, and setting other hard, hard deadlines that a client would set, that, that can also hurt you in the long term. Yeah, we're never going to get anything done here. Um, yeah, and the last one is listening to yourself. <laughs> so so it's, 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 it's that self-love. Like you need to, if, if you can't listen to yourself, who are you going to listen to in the end? <laughs> Like you're you're the one making decisions, and sometimes, sometimes your gut is gonna tell you so much. You need to be able to just listen. Like, yeah, this doesn't feel right. So no. Some, sometimes you're working in a team, and you know 
you're going to pitch an idea to your team member. Like we get this a lot where I go like, no, we have to do it like this. And you're like, no, that's dumb. And I'm like, no, we have to do it like this. And it's, it's kind of hard to, sometimes you have to stick to your guns because you know you're right. <laughs> but, but part of listening to yourself is also knowing that when you can't quite explaining it, uh, can't quite explain it to go delve a bit deeper so that you can explain yeah, figure it. figure out why I'm so insistent on this so that I can explain it to you. So um, that's, that's, the, that's basically chapter one. That, um, that is be a game designer. And if you're going to be any good, well, that's pretty much just down to practice. Practice, 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 and never trying, never stopping, uh, never stopping your efforts to improve your craft. Yeah. Must much. always be asking yourself questions. So the second chapter, like titled, The Designer Creates an Experience. So is a game an experience? No, a game is not an experience. Game is something that leads to someone having an experience. But a game is actually a physical, real thing. There's code there that's running or board game bits that are getting moved around. Mm. So no, game is not an experience. Mm. Game is what a designer uses to create an experience. Mm. So, and, and like, uh, JC made a, a point here saying like, as game designers, we tend to focus on what the, uh, care about what seems to exist rather than moving away from what this thing that exists creates. Yeah, so I think his, his point is you, as a game designer, you are trying to create an experience. That experience is a very intangible thing. The player of your game is real. He or she exists. Your game is real. That exists. But what you're actually trying to achieve is to give that person a experience. That's actually your job as a game designer, is to make a cool experience or a fun experience or a sad experience or whatever your experience for your game might be. Um, so yeah, we're, we're basically as game designers all about this intangible thing that we'll never actually see. It's, it's this, this sum is going to be greater than the the parts yeah exactly because experience is also very subjective yeah like i might be trying to create a certain experience but there's no guarantee that that's how my audience is going to experience it um and And yeah i mean this is not a unique problem for games movies books (laughs) all of them have the same problem but yeah, they, they they just don't have that little bit of agency. I think they they have it much easier. So a yeah. book and a movie is a linear experience. So I mean, odds are your audience is going to have roughly the experience you wanted them to have. But with games, because we give players agency and the ability to do whatever they want, like the possibility space just explodes, and you can end up with people having a completely different experience from what you originally designed <laughs> thinking about the experience side um i'm, I'm gonna pull in an example from how i met your mother i don't know if you watched, watched all of it yeah. so you remember that bonnie had a very different experience of what the terminator is and the karate kid 
Oh, yeah, he had, like, reverse Karate Kid. He was, like, the bad guy is the good guy. <laughs> yes, which sometimes, like, it, 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 it's important to maybe look at realizing that because these experiences can va- uh, can differ so vastly, you, you, you might need to sit back and, and see if you can cater for both experiences. Yeah, so just realizing that there might be more experiences in your game than you're necessarily aiming for lets you you know maybe go spend a bit of time and thinking about okay can i maybe do a few small tweaks to make this other also valid experience be a better experience than it would have been if it was just there by accident yeah but in the end it's it's a difficult thing to measure yeah, like you can't see it. Yeah, can't you, see it, can't touch it, can't feel it. You must rely <laughs> on on the reactions of like, and that's why play playtesting is actually so fun. It's to to look at the face and reactions of of people playing a game, and trying to read what experience they're having mm-hmm. into into that, and 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 that's that's the one thing um, I've mentioned previously that w- uh, uh, one of our jam games, Ferdi Bieker. Uh, you you weren't there for all of the playtesting that happened within the family. No, I missed all of it. And like looking back, I w- one of the things that I I think was a nice touch from us was to have each cousin have their own like little avatar. Like I, I know yeah. we we didn't have unique avatars for everybody yet. Uh, but but we had names. Yeah, everybody's name was there at least. <laughs> everybody's name was there, and and that managed to drive much more of this social interaction that, that we had. And like I've I've said before that I think that can be a successful little multiplayer couch co-op game, but like we were well, I, I'm very biased to what my family had been experiencing. Yeah. And that experience will vastly differ from other people because there was lots yeah. of in jokes there they're they're not going to be their their names aren't going to be in the game and they won't get the in jokes <laughs> yeah so the broader audience might not appreciate it as much as they did but it, but it's it's an interesting thing to to observe nonetheless yeah um but yeah so uh the rest of the chapter about experience then kind of goes into what scientific fields can we possibly use to try and understand human experience um so this is now kind of starting to get into the 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 nuts and bolts of what things can we do to try and improve our understanding of an experience um so he dives into three main fields uh the first one is psychology um now this is quite a big section in the in the book each chapter on each of these different fields um, I think the big thing that I took away from the psychology section was that there's kind of two angles to psychology. There's the more rigidly scientific uh, behaviorist approach. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, I guess, older, more original approach, which is called phenomenology or phenomenology, um, which was basically people introspecting their own experiences um, and arriving at theories based on their own experience of the world Um, and that's obviously not a very scientific approach there's a lot of pitfalls um, to introspection you're biased obviously 
Um, you could make false conclusions about, you know, kind of how people in general would experience something based on your own experience, um, you know, which might not necessarily be true. Um, but one of the things that, uh, one of the points he makes that's quite interesting is that as game designers, because we only care about what seems to be real, that less scientific approach is still quite a valid tool for us. Mm. Um, introspecting and looking and seeing how I react to something mm. is a valid approach for me to try and understand how a game might make someone feel. Uh, uh, especially, I think, if, if, you're, if you're being objective about your biases. If during your introspection you can understand that oh, I'm feeling this because I'm getting, uh, I'm having some nostalgia from when I was a child and this very specific thing happened to me. Or mm. I'm feeling this way because, oh, I've had a very similar experience with this massive, mo massively popular movie. So, like, bringing back some scientific approach to, to this very touchy-feely mm. one uh, can greatly aid you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then I think um, before we just move away from that, the one other thing that was interesting was you mentioned that there's kind of two approaches from designers to try and defend against this bias or introspection bias. The one, and it's it's kind of extreme opposites. <laughs> the one is that some designers will go, I only design games for people like me, so I make a game that I will like, and hence... Other people that like what I will like will like my game. So that's kind of my audience, <laughs> um, which is one valid approach to kind of reduce the worry about inaccuracy of introspection. And then the opposite side of that is people who go like, I never trust my own feelings about the game. I only do play testing and see what other people think of it. <laughs> so on, on, on that note, I want to ask you a question. Hmm. Do you tend to try and design games that you enjoy I think I do <laughs> or do you enjoy designing games that you might not personally enjoy I think I'm probably biased to making stuff that I feel I would enjoy myself so I'm not sure if I'm very unsure where on on, on that too, I fall. Um, I tend to just go with you because I trust your judgment and like, I, I feel sometimes I'm missing some stuff, but I also sometimes enjoy fiddling with like simulation type games of, of stuff that I'm actually not really interested normally. Like, I've, I've, I've said earlier, my brother really really enjoy these simulation games yeah. euro truck simulator yeah, like, like bus he, driver simulator he <laughs> he flippin' played gta yeah san andreas and when he got to the to the point where he could go and do missions where he would uh, haul a load with a truck from one end of the map to the other that was what he was doing he, was, he wasn't bothering with the rest of the m missions <laughs> he was he was Just doing that playing truck simulator inside gta <laughs> But I'll admit, like, I sometimes feel like because I try and ground myself in a very technical 
approach to things, a very technical and logical approach to things, that I find it easier to design something for the simulation space because I feel those players are a lot more forgiving. Okay. Um, they're they're not playing it to ex. Well, they're playing it to to experience the simulation, and that's part of an experience for them. Um, but there's there's so much more that that they can take out of it. So if like it's it's just part of it sitting there for five hours driving with one one load of cargo, and like to 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 some people that's fine, and I find that very comforting. Yeah. But on the other hand, there are these other ideas that I really want to try because, like, I enjoy those types of games. Yeah, look, I mean, I must also say that I'm probably a bit of a gameplay slut. Like, I honestly haven't found a game that I totally hate yet. <laughs> like, I can enjoy most genres um, to some degree or another. Like, I really try to play just about everything. Um I mean, like now recently with me playing a stealth tactics game and actually enjoying it for the first time. It's like a genre I've always wanted to love, but none of the games I played in it I ever finished because they were just like bloody hard and extremely unforgiving. Um, and then I played this new Shinobi or Shadow Tactics one now and I was like, okay, well, actually this is now executed so well that... <laughs> So, this is, I can't say with certainty, I used to hate some types of games. Okay, are there any that you can think of now that you... I used to dread playing, like, strategy games, because, like, uh, okay, no, I I don't enjoy real-time strategy games. No, no, I'll, I'll admit that. I really struggle with that. I can't yeah. deal with the level of micro. Um, but that's from a min-max standpoint. Like, I, I, I enjoyed playing Age of Empires and mucking about and having people, well, yeah. using the cheats, Big Bertha. <laughs> and, um, but it's, it's, it's interesting to me how that changed. How since I've tried, well, since I've started trying to develop games or design games i've taken on bigger scarier games like that you wouldn't normally have played it it started in varsity when when we we started playing dominions 4 yeah a a big 4x like tactical game like that was always a daunting thing to me because so much is going on but then (laughs) then i eventually found comfort in that oh i don't actually have to know everything. I can just wing it and be all right. Like yeah. most people are just winging it, and especially in a game that vast, like pff, nobody can min-max that well except yeah. Bert. Bert knows <laughs> everything. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the introspection thing. Um, there's a bit of a another section about how to do, how to improve your introspection skills. I don't know if you want to talk about that. So, yes, I, I actually want to talk about that because you, you mentioned earlier we're going to be talking about Lens 1. Yeah. But I've got the newer edition and I thought it good that we can talk about the extra lenses that, that he introduced. Damn it. Extra lenses. What extra lenses? <laughs> so, if if we look at 
introspection, like there are some pitfalls that we need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And like, if I can quickly, well, I'm, I'm looking at your notes now because you made such lovely notes for this, but um, you, you, it can lead to a false conclusion of reality. Yeah. Like, as you mentioned, and what is true of my experience may not be true for others. So, ways to improve that, and the first one he mentioned was to to dissect your feelings. And I, I touched on this, was dissection, from my point of view, was dissecting these feelings with, with the mentality of, of understanding what my biases are mm-hmm. and how that affects my feelings. Okay. And... That brings me to lens number one in in, in the new book. Um, the lens of emotion. So if, if we look at the, the lens of emotion, mm-hmm. the description of it is that people may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And this is a, well, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's, this is a quote by Maya Angelou. Okay. And... <clears throat> To make sure that the emotions you create are the right ones, we need to ask ourselves these three questions. What emotions would I like my player ex- to experience and why? Do I want them to be happy or sad, yeah. angry or grumpy? And, 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 and if I want that, why? Yeah. Hmm. And further, what emotions are players, including myself, having when they play now and then again? Why? So that also almost sounds kind of like a playtesting type of thing, either yourself or someone else. Huh? Yes. And then how can I bridge the gap between the emotions players are having and the emotions I'd like them to have? Okay. So what do I need to change to to achieve what I'm actually aiming for, I guess? Huh? Yes. All right. Yeah. So the, the example he used in the book actually was, was such a good example. Um, like asking someone what they had at the cafeteria today and they answer like, oh, pizza, it was bad. <laughs> and like, but why was it bad? And the person is just like, it's just bad. And then you're just like, do you mean it was too cold, too hard, too soggy, too bitter, too much sauce, not enough sauce, too cheesy? What was <laughs> bad about it? Like, I don't know. It was just bad <laughs> so that's so clearly someone who's not good at dissecting their own feelings <laughs> yes so so it's 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 a difficult thing to do but it's 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 part of becoming attuned to what your emotions are and what you're doing and and when you feel something to to delve in and dissect to to theorize about, well, to, to, to list yourself a bunch of questions of things that you don't like, maybe about mm. why you're feeling this and, and then trying to pinpoint why. Like just yeah. saying the pizza is bad. Like it's bad because it was burnt. Like yeah. I don't like burnt pizza. <laughs> Whatever. As a game developer, you also always have to go a little bit further than everybody else. <laughs> just like, well, you're, you're, you're threading that. I think you're, you're, Walking that line right on the edge of of the cliff of an of insanity, of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> probably, and 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 that's why when when this first when I read about this first lens, it it just hit me. I've never before even thought about what emotion I'm trying to evoke in a player, hmm. and 
coming back to the simulation game, real like I'm now realizing that I I like the comfort of structure, mm-hmm. and simulation games tend to have a very rigid structure, and that is what I like about it. It's comfortable. I feel comfortable. I feel happy and. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm in my comfort zone. It, it's like my wife's been watching a lot of NCIS recently. And then there's Marines that are saying like, shit, like, uh, I like the structure. I like having measurable goals, stuff like that. It like makes them feel comfortable and safe. <laughs> yes. Having this set of rules that they have to operate inside. <laughs> so, 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 so f- from my perspective, I've, I've now come to realize like just from the get go that this is, this is something that can, like emotion is what drives an experience. Mm. So we, we well we can we can get we can I think get to the experience side yeah. of it now. I, I think yeah, like from a from a just last thing on emotion. Um, like if you look at uh, anti-aircraft antics that we're working on at the moment, I think that's where maybe. I think initially when I started saying okay, this is my direction for where I want us to go with it, you did quite get it um but that's where i was where my head was at was like i'm trying to create a little bit of an emotional experience there not just oh i'm shooting stuff <laughs> yeah and, and and i think i might have intuitively jumped on the idea and and like said well let's kind of skirt the line of ridiculousness yeah and make it in like you you wanted humor yeah and i was like oh wait I can make funny sounds with my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Let's make funny sounds and use that as the sounds in the game. And yeah. Yeah. And th- then we, we, we hit, we're going to hit some other lenses, I think, with, with our approach when we, when you're like in this funny game and suddenly you're like, oh, right in the fields. <laughs> Be a nice yes, surprise for yes. your players. <laughs> so, so that, that was, we haven't managed that yet. We haven't quite yet. It yet, but we're working towards that. Yes. Okay. So. Cool. Then uh, introspection, the Heisenberg principle. Mm. So one of the things that uh, is also kind of challenging with introspection is, uh, if you're familiar with physics, it's kind of based on the Heisenberg principle from physics, is the idea that observing your own experience, Mm. so introspecting while you're playing, can actually change that experience. Mm. Um, So he talks a bit about ways of dealing with that. Uh, first one being just analyze your memories. So don't try to think about this game design and how it's making you feel all of that while you're playing it. Just, just play. Experience it and then afterwards when you're done, stop, think, then analyze. Huh. So that's an, that's a curious thing. I, I'm interested in, in how the, how, how CD Project Red went about this. In The Witcher Three, because mm-hmm. like you've you've read the the book um, out of not out of game design, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, yeah, and they they mentioned that they didn't want to set up a single FedEx quest, something where like oh take this person mm-hmm. to there and like there's no it, it feels like a chore. Yeah, there's no f- fetch quests in that game, right? Yeah, so well there are fetch quests, but they they on purpose try to 
added twist to okay. the fetch. Right. Um, a random example, and this might or might not correlate to a mish, uh, a quest in in game, but uh, a random example would be maybe sending Geralt off to go find a person, and then once this person has f- been found, realize that oh, this was this person was actually. This person that was looking, uh, th- that sent you on the quest, mm-hmm. actually wanted to find this person for nefarious reasons, and okay. immediately you're, you're you're put in this moral gray area of, wait, should I take him to this person now? Or should <laughs> I not? And how do I believe that what this person is telling me is is the truth? Like yeah. it 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 was it was a weird one. Yeah, it's like who which one do I pick now? And 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 and. <laughs> This like they they pride themselves on never giving you a black and white choice. It's mm. always one rooted in this very gray area of life, and and I that I really enjoy that experience because it makes me feel weird things and ask weird questions. Where like back when I was in high school and I was playing Call of Duty, I Modern Warfare Two, I think there was this okay. horrible. Like you walk into an airport and just gun down everybody. Yeah. And high school me was a bastard. I just walked in and sprayed on everything. I didn't even think about it. It was only after someone asked me like, so what did you do? And I'm like, I'm, I just gunned down those people because everybody else was doing it. Never realized like, oh, I don't have to pull my trigger once. Didn't have to. <laughs> I didn't have to. But I, I wasn't as emotionally mature back then, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but, but back to the, to the memory, like, I'm, I'm curious if, if how much they relied on memories of previous games that they, of the previous Witcher titles, as well as other role playing games with, with fetch quests mm. and, and trying to re- kind of subverting. Yes. People's expectation about yes. what a what 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 they'll get out of a quest in a role playing game. All right. Um, the second one they've got uh, there for approaches is doing a two pass approach. So basically, you play the first time just experiencing, and then you replay a second time. This time with your analyst hat on, <laughs> and kind of looking now at every little thing. Um, and trying, I guess, to compare that to your memory of the experience. Hmm. And, and, and that is, it's, it's interesting to me how I go back to some games and when I'm replaying them now, yeah, I'm looking at these small game mechanics and like, Oh, wow. This is actually it's so like, cool. Oh, this is why this is so nice. <laughs> this, this is why this feels intuitive. Oh, the, uh, this is why this feels crap. Uh, like small things. Like I'm, I'm, I'm noticing more and more how much it bugs me when an NPC is walking, is, is leading me somewhere. Yeah. And they're going just faster than walking speed. Yeah. But not fast enough to run behind. <laughs> So it's like this awkward dance. It's this awkward dance. And <laughs> like sometimes you, you, you pass the person and you're like, okay, screw it. I'm just going to go to the checkpoint and yeah. hope that I don't miss any dialogue. Uh, sometimes you can't do that, but it's, it's, it, it's been interesting 
observing a second time around. Yeah. And and I think it it actually helped me not like being in the design mind space back when I played these games. Yeah. Like I wasn't even thinking about making games back then, but but now I can go back to previous experiences and try to to evaluate. I I I do think that I might find that difficult to do now. Um I I remember booting up Wasteland 2 the first time and in the first combat I had I was like, "Oh, this feels a lot like XCOM." Let's now go. Let like I, I immediately went into analysis mode and yeah, started like, comparing it. <laughs> yes, started comparing it, and and I didn't experience it first. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. You kind of, um, I think this gets to the next approach, which is sneaking glances, um, where essentially he says you have to be a schizophrenic. I think, like, <laughs> you have to just kind of experience and then just like without impacting your experience just have a quick peek at oh that's interesting okay and then back in the experience <laughs> um which, make, which he make, says is kind of a learned like, skill like but <laughs> t- take mental notes and maybe come back to that idea later yeah um yeah which which is a weird one and then i've got a note here for one called observe silently which honestly i can't remember i guess that's turning off your internal monologue <laughs> while you're observing yourself play um, but yeah, like it, it gets progressively into like almost a weird space where you're trying to look at the game mechanics critically without trying to disrupt your experience. But I think those are, are a bit of the more complicated and advanced ones. Um, so yeah, then I think that's kind of everything. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else from the emotion point of view. Um, no. But then we get to the what I thought was the first lens, which is the lens of essential experience. Um, so I don't know if you want to take us through that one. So I'm I'm going to open up the lens again quick. And for those of you, I'll try and remember to add a link to the uh, in the show notes. Um, there's a free, I think it's free on both iOS and Android. I know I know it's a free Android app yeah. that has a collection of all of these lenses and. Jesse, Jesse, I can't <laughs> pronounce this name now. Jesse's intention with the app is to, while developing a game or, or, or working on a game, to open up the app. You can random a few ones and flip flip over the cards. There's actually a deck of cards that you can also buy, and ask yourselves these the qu- these questions as a regular practice while designing the game. So, the lens of ex- essential experience, like. Um, like we, sh- we it, the the basis of it is that we should stop thinking about our game and start thinking about the experience of the player. Yeah. Less about the, be less about the mechanics and more about what experience am I like, trying to create? <laughs> it's it's about that. Don't focus on on the the what it is. Focus on the on that soft fluffy that soft experience fluffy thing experience that you can't thing. really see. <laughs> so there's there's three questions. What experience do I want the player to have? Um, what is essential to that experience? That that second one is quite important, I think. Yes. And how can my game capture that essence? Yeah. Because yeah, I think that 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 what is the essence of the experience? Um, often when we're trying to design an experience, we tend to get lost in the details. Mm. You know, it's like a shooting game. You know, you might get 
down, caught down a, a sideshow path, looking at effects and guns and whatever, and, and missing the fact that people play these because there's actually kind of a, a tactical experience mm. in most of these games. Mm. On the surface, they're about shooting and all the mechanics of shooting, but underneath, uh, at like a deeper level, it's about that experience of putting yourself against someone else <laughs> in an unfamiliar situation and seeing if you can come out on top. <laughs> so, that raises one question with me, though. A game like Counter-Strike, which was something that came about almost by mistake. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm trying to to piece together what experience you would intentionally try to get there, and, and what is the essence of it. Okay. Um, and and I think I I think within our group of friends, it might be very immediate how different the experiences are. I get very upset when people don't do things like <laughs> when when they do dumb things and they don't work together as a team. I think yeah, there's a few things. So uh, Counter Strike, part of it is, I think, almost individual mastery. It's it's power fantasy to a degree. For some people, it's just about being really good at it individually. Like we've got some players that are just like really really good. They can carry a team on their own. <laughs> they don't really need the team. They're that good. Yes. And for other people, it's more about that experience of teamwork, is how do we work together to collaboratively outsmart our opponents. Mm. Um, that's uh, like at a bare minimum the two two main experiences I see in that game, if you had to go design it from scratch. Mm. I, I think what's interesting about your comment, though, is that not all game experiences are necessarily designed. I do think some of them are happy accidents. <laughs> what, what else would you consider a happy accident? Uh, what about Dota? Dota was just a mod for Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, but that's the same with Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike was just a mod for Half-Life. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I guess someone designed that mod. It was... I, actually, I don't know enough about the history of either games to know whether it was one person who came up with this or whether it was the collaborative effort of a bunch of people. Um, I guess it might have started out as a happy accident. Nowadays, if you look at Dota now, yeah. it's no longer an accident. It's, it's, it's very much a designed experience. Uh, and I think it's very much the same with Counter-Strike. Like It's a very rigid designed experience. Like we're, we're constantly seeing updates coming out about changing this and tweaking that to try and, and drive the, well, I'm saying drive the meta, uh, rather steer the meta in a different direction because ultimately these games have now turned into spectator sports. They're now spectator sports. Yeah. So there, there's a reason why regular sports, like it tends to, to stay quite entertaining for people. Um, like, Every year there is there are subtle things in the in the rules that do change, but not fast enough to throw people off. Yeah, not nearly as much as you'd see in a year in any digital game. And I I I think from from that essential experience, like there there's enough change to keep keep it interested. 
now for for esports games where like to keep people interested things have to be constantly changing and but it has to be changing at just the right rate like i i remember two years ago where nobody would pick up uh, the the cz7 mm-hmm. and, and 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 kind of strike and it's now become such a staple of the game these yeah. days uh I was even reading about the utility, uh, the utility usage of the teams across uh, over the past three years. Because HLTV recently, I think in 2016, started tracking the uh, average damage per round mm-hmm. from utility for the teams, okay. and there's a definite increase over the past few years. Yeah, that so now that it's become a competitive game, people are kind of oh. learning all of these advanced strategies like using utility <laughs> yes um I, i'm i'm trying to think out of of single player experiences that started out as mods um yeah well what i'm trying to to understand is is did they intuitively understand what the experience was that they so okay, let me let me counter example you. When I say that not all experiences have to be designed, um, think about like open world games. Oh. Think yes. About GTA. Think about your brother going around driving trucks in that game as kind of his primary fun thing to do in the game. I'm sure that not a lot of effort was spent on designing the experience of driving a truck cross country. It was probably just like a small afterthought. <laughs> Put up a few nodes and generate random things from that. Yeah, and there you go. So even then, I guess someone had to do a little bit of work to do it. So yeah. it was a bit of design involved. But with an open world game like that, people can come up with ways to play that you never planned for like jump (laughs) challenges or trying to get to impossible to reach spots or stuff like that there's that's kind of what i meant by not all experiences need to be Mm. designed when you're designing a game you're building a kind of a a design space there's a there's a whole space of experiences that can be had in this yes and you're not necessarily going to realize what all of those are up front and it's quite possible that your players are going to discover things that you never really designed in so so coming back to this lens though that's not an essential experience exactly that's a this is talking about the design yes. experience mm. It's about focusing on that designed essential experience that you're trying to give your players. Mm. Okay. It was more just an observation from my side to say that keep in mind there are others as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. No, that that makes a, a lot more sense. Cool. Are we going to wrap it up there? I've got a last little bit of note here. Yes, I think we can wrap it up. That like, th- there's still a lot to to go about on the essential experience, but yeah. like, it's it's so vast that I think some of it is touched on in in yeah, later chapters. I think, so I think we will. Yeah, um, I want to kind of just finish off with. Uh, I'm not going to take credit for this. I think this is the last paragraph of chapter two, um, where he basically writes, "What we experience is not really reality." It's filtered filtered through our senses and our minds, and the consciousness we experience is kind of an illusion. 
this is a major headache for philosophers but it's a wonderful thing for game designers mm. because it means that the experiences we create can be as meaningful and feel as real as the everyday experiences in our lives so it's just kind of i love that that little paragraph at the end that was really cool so i'm then going to ask you can you tell me about an experience that you've had that's like this in a game a experience in a game that's that real yes that's that's been that meaningful to you sure that's a tough one <laughs> mm. crap i don't know i can't think of one off the top of my head No, I got nothing. Okay, so I'm going to jump in. I think the one of the three Mass Effect games mm-hmm. that I played, I remember the first time I had to make a difficult decision, not realizing that this decision is going to lead to a character that I really enjoyed, mm. like it was going to lead to their death. Oh, wow. That's rough. <laughs> and... Oh, no, 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 I'm lying. Whoa, no, (laughs) no. The most impactful experience I've ever had was in the Walking Dead by Telltale Telltale Games. That was... No, that game wrecked my emotions for like a week. Okay, wow. I, I remember afterwards reading about how they also wanted to skirt the lines of like Let's only give the player great decisions. There's no fundamental right or wrong decision. Mm -hmm. But also give them this little six-year-old. I can't remember how how old the girl was supposed to be. Maybe 10-year-old. Clementine is like nine. Nine, nineteen. Girl as a moral compass to to react to your decisions. It's not necessarily going to be positive or negative. It's just going to show some of what her naive well what her naive mind might perceive as right and wrong it's like a little mirror and yeah and that little mirror was held up to me the whole time and by the end of that game like i don't know if you've played it i've not finished it okay but the end of that game wrecked me i remember sitting there three in the morning bawling my eyes out <laughs> cuz i just couldn't deal okay i couldn't deal with having this feeling be so immensely strong and uh, it's still one of the most intense experiences I've ever had playing a game. Yeah, I think I I might be biased a bit more towards more mechanical and strategy type games. So I play these, but they don't stick in my mind so much. Like the pure storytelling type games oh. cool mm. yeah so that was the first two chapters of the art of game design it's it's, it's definitely it's worth it's worth a read worth a read worth a buy it's a um, it's a nice thick book and it covers a lot of stuff <laughs> um i've read through the whole book um before so i'm kind of this is now revision for me yes but yeah i can definitely highly recommend it oh. so we're we're hoping to to continue on with this book uh 
we'll probably be touching on what is a game in the next episode or so. It's a more difficult question than you think. <sighs> it's a way more difficult question than you think. It took me about an hour to read through that 20-page chapter because it, it messed with my mind. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think this was fun. Uh, you're teaching me a bit about how you think about game design, and I'm learning. I think we'll, Not be, we'll be better off as a game development team for having some insight into... Yes. And I hope that those of you oh, who listen wow. also find some insight. At the very least, you know, go get the book and yeah. read. You'll learn something. Thanks, thanks everybody for listening. And we'll hopefully have something out for you soon. Cheers. See you then. Bye.